Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, August 16th, 2016. My apologies, wasn't able to get a program in yesterday. A little under the weather and needed a recovery day. I think some people call those days off. I didn't have one last week. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down. That's right. Slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of really crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up our Bibles and compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, it's as if everyone out there thinks that they have a better word to give us, a more truthful word than what we can find in the Bible. It's the weirdest thing. And over and again, we demonstrate that what these folks are saying is not biblical, it's not Christian, it's not what God would have us know, it's not what Jesus wants taught in his own church. And yet these people ignore Jesus and his expressed uh, will, if you would, and the will of the Holy Spirit, and well... (laughs) They're filling people's heads with all kinds of nonsense. So the uh, the Pirate Christian Radio Conference, uh, which was Friday and Saturday of last week, was just absolutely phenomenal. I The speakers were great. The time spent with the people who came, amazing. And uh, we are <laughs> we're already looking forward to next year's uh, edition of the Pirate Christian Radio Conference. We will be giving the dates out for the next conference at the beginning of... Uh, 2017. So keep an ear out for that, and uh, we'll open it up for registration in the early part of January so that uh, you can register for the conference and plan to come to North Dakota. That's right. We're going to have it at Kongsvinger again. And uh, one of the things I made clear to the people who were in attendance, and I'll, and I'll kind of reiterate this, is that we intentionally strive to put together quality conferences with a small number of of attendees. We could, you know, go down to St. Louis and, you know, pack out a large, you know, hotel space, you know, one of those banquet halls or whatever, 
And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that because we want to make it possible for the people who attend to you know spend time with me, spend time with our speakers, spend time talking to each other. And uh, it, it's just a fantastic uh, time with each other in fellowship. And uh, just I can't even begin to explain. I mean, you know, people showed up and we didn't know who they were and they left family. It's the best way to put it. So uh, keep your ears out uh, at the beginning of 2017 for the dates for the uh, 2017 Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Again, our intention is to have it up here in uh, North Dakota and Minnesota again, so uh, keep that in mind. All right, let's talk about what it is that we're going to do with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin, let me see, Prophetic Holy Orders, Prophetic Holy Orders, NAR. Okay, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I didn't make a little note here to myself. Okay, so we're going to begin with a uh, Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Twin Spin update. We're going to begin with Jennifer LeClaire, who is uh, the editor of Charisma Magazine. She does a podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network, and uh, we're going to listen to Jennifer LeClaire try to explain to folks who are in her audience why their prophecy didn't come to pass. Uh huh. So, <laughs> so, I mean, before we even get to the segment, I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, here's the idea somebody prophesied, or you prophesied, and the prophecy didn't come to pass. The reason for that's simple. God wasn't speaking. The, fir- the person claiming to be hearing from God was speaking, well, the dreams of their own mind, if you would. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this from Scripture. See, when God speaks and truly gives a prophecy to a prophet, his words never fall to the ground. There's no such thing as inaccurate prophets. God doesn't stutter. And so if your prophecy didn't come to pass, well, it's real simple. Because you're dealing with a false prophet, or you be one yourself. So it seems kind of obvious to me. But Jennifer LeClaire, I mean, she can't deal with the biblically obvious, so she's got to come up with her own explanation. Then we're going to, again, stay under the umbrella of the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. And uh, we're heading over to Patricia King's Shiloh Church Fellowship, a TV internet studio church kind of thingy, of which she is the pastrix. Prophetess? Yeah, uh uh-huh. And we're going to listen to Joshua Mills. Joshua Mills is a guy we've covered in the past here at Fighting for the Faith. He's into parlor tricks. Yeah, he... He likes to perform, you know, you know, sleight of hand magic tricks to make it look like gold dust and oil are emerging from his uh, body and things like that. And um, he's good at his parlor trick, the best way I put it. But what I found fascinating about the segment that we're going to be listening to is that Joshua Mills is literally recounting part of the history, inaccurately so, of the early part of the Pentecostal movement, a little bit pre-Azusa Street. Uh, in uh, in uh, Kansas, and uh, he's relaying a part of the history, again, inaccurately, regarding Parham. And uh, we're going to listen to him talk about this, and then we will read out um, <laughs> a history, uh, an accurate history of what really went on that is available in uh, MacArthur's book, Charismatic Chaos. And uh, and let's just say the uh, the contrast is stark. Why anyone who is a modern-day charismatic would be foolish enough to invoke Parham is beyond me. Somewhere in there we'll take a break, and uh, we'll round out our number one with Guillermo Maldonado, the self-appointed apostle. 
And apparently he's got new revelation about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit is only attracted to certain things. I had no idea. And so he's going to explain to us what it is that the Holy Spirit's really excited about and will respond to and what he doesn't respond to. And, of course, you just have to ask the question, where did he get this information? So, uh, And then in hour two, uh, we're going to add a new guy to our list of um, uh, churches to watch for sermons. Uh, Steve Graham of PDX Church in Portland, Oregon. Uh, He's got a sermon series that he's working his way through called Breathing Room. They've recently made the switch to being seeker-driven over there at PDX Church. And uh, Steve Graham is leading the way. And so we're going to listen to a sermon titled, Squeeze Yourself. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. It, it, yeah. Maybe it's a joke, you know, you, you know that plan word, it's Exqueeze Me. Yeah, so it's the uh, Exqueeze Yourself is the name of the... What an obnoxious title for a sermon. Anyway, so that will round out today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And since we're going to be doing a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in a row Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich there stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. So we're going to be heading over to the Charisma Podcast Network and uh, the uh, podcast put together by Jennifer LeClaire. And the question she's going to be answering is, why your prophecy didn't come to pass? Now, we've already kind of talked about this, but let's back it up biblically. Before we even play any of the audio from her podcast, let's answer it biblically. Mm -hmm. Biblically, Deuteronomy Chapter 18. I'll start at verse 15 because there's a prophecy regarding Jesus there in Deuteronomy 18. And I'll start at 15. Here's what it says. Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. All right, so notice Moses prophesying, prophesying correctly. Uh, this is a guy who, <laughs> let's just say, had... Um, quite the um, the relationship with God. I mean, there wasn't a prophet like him before or really since. And uh, he's prophesying regarding Christ, that a prophet like Moses will arise, and it is to him that we shall listen. Just as you desire to the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die, Yahweh said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, 
I myself will require it of him. Notice the prophecy regarding Christ. Who is it that we're to listen to once this prophet appears? Him, Jesus. We're to listen to Jesus. Verse 20, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. That's right. In the theocracy of Israel, if somebody gave a prophecy and it didn't come to pass, that person was executed. Yeah, it was a capital crime. If you say in your heart, well, how do we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you need not be afraid of him. So there you go. I mean, I don't think it gets any clearer than that in Scripture. It's quite blunt. And the idea is if a prophet says, hey, this is going to happen, and it doesn't happen, they be a false prophet. We'll throw in a little bit of Jeremiah 23, 16 through 29 in just a minute here. But uh, let's head over to the Charisma Podcast Network as we uh, listen in with... uh, Jennifer LeClaire from her program titled Walking in the Spirit, and she's going to answer the question, not biblically, as to why your prophecy didn't come to pass. The answer is quite simple, because the person who spoke it isn't a true prophet, they're a false prophet. But here's Jennifer LeClaire to do some spin control. Hi, it's Jennifer LeClaire, Senior Editor of Charisma Magazine, Director of the Awakening House of Prayer in South Florida, and author of The Making of a Prophet. My subject today is why some would-be life-changing prophetic words don't come to pass. Right. It's real simple. Deuteronomy 18 says, because the person who spoke it spoke presumptuously, they're a false prophet. In the old theocracy of Israel, they would have been executed. I'm not calling for that, but I'm just saying we shouldn't listen to anybody who prophesies whose prophecies don't come to pass. They're not hearing from God. You've heard me talk before surely about how prophetic words bring warfare but that's yeah i've heard you say that and stop calling me surely it's not the only reason people receive legitimate would-be life-changing prophecies that don't come to pass Uh, there's no such thing as a true prophecy that doesn't come to pass although i believe strongly in waging war with prophetic words you also have to be careful to understand what the lord is actually saying to war accurately uh, no, there's nothing in Scripture that talks about the the need to war after you've given a prophetic word. You're just making that up as some kind of an excuse so that you can say, well, yeah, yeah well, the, the prophecy was legitimate, and God would have, you know, made it come to pass, but the person who spoke it didn't war properly. Uh-huh. Beyond this, you need a certain maturity to walk out the word by faith, you need this. Oh, that's the problem. They they weren't mature enough when they prophesied. Oh, spiritual strength to stand against the tribulation and persecution that will surely come against a potentially life changing prophecy. Uh, yeah, see, it's it's the fault of the warfare that comes against life changing prophecies that caused them to not come to pass. I don't think so. And you need to keep your mind focused on God's plans despite the barrage of cares and worries the devil brings to your mind. At the end of the day, it really boils down to this. There is a war over the prophetic word over your life. 
Sometimes that war comes from the wicked one. So- uh, scripture doesn't describe this. You're making it up. There is no biblical text that talks about how there's a war that comes against prophetic words to keep them from coming to pass. If God has spoken something, ain't nothing going to stop it. Sometimes that war comes from our own carnal nature that wars against the spirit. Hopefully that's not the case, but sometimes it is. Our flesh resists us. Either way, and whether whether we're talking about scripture or prophecy that's been uh, deemed accurate, we must fight the good fight of faith so we can walk in the fullness of God's promises. In the parable of the sower, Jesus explains some spiritual truth about the word of God. But it can also apply to prophecies that come straight from his heart. No, that's not true. You are absolutely misappropriating the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one who received the seed beside the path. See, now, it's important to understand exactly what God is saying prophetically. Many people miss it on the interpretation or the application, especially in the dream realm, realm because dreams are often parabolic. They're, they're not always clear. They're symbolic many times. Of course, some prophecies are hard to misinterpret, especially the ones about having babies or operating in some spiritual gift. That's, it is what it is. Matthew thirteen twenty one gives us another clue. Jesus said, but he who received the seed on rocky ground is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. All right. You've done that, right? You get a prophecy. You're like so excited. You re- now, we're, let's take a look at what's going on in Matthew chapter 13. She is totally twisting this text to make it not about the preaching of the word, but about the receiving of prophecies. And that is not at all what this text is about. She is engaging in a um, hermeneutical fast one is the best way that I can put it. So let's take a look. Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and um, sat down. The whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he, as, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, The birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So then the disciples said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And I'll um, let me kind of go down so we can get the interpretation. Verse 18, So hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what has been sown in his heart. So here's the idea. Hearing the word of the kingdom... This is the preaching of God's word. You can think of it as kind of like an evangelistic uh, preaching of the of the kingdom. This was what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. Notice again, you're hearing the word, immediately receives it with joy. He has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. 
and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who again hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundred, in another sixty, and another thirty. So this isn't talking, you know, you'll notice that the different soils kind of rule out the fact, especially the first soil, um, you know, on the path. I mean, the evil one comes and snatches what has been sown in his heart. This is not talking about prophecy. This is talking about the written word of God uh, being proclaimed and preached evangelistically. You know, there are some who hear and are brought to penitent faith in Christ, others who hear and persist in sin and unbelief. That's what Jesus is referring to here. What Jennifer LeClaire is engaging in, like I said, is a total exegetical fast one to make this about uh, prophecy and why they don't come to pass. But that's not what this is talking about at all. Jesus was not teaching that prophecies can come from the Holy Spirit and then not come to pass because God doesn't contradict himself. Jesus would never contradict Deuteronomy 18. To receive it with joy. But then Jesus went on to say, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, eventually he falls away. So you start out doing well. You start out declaring, proclaiming, decreeing, prophesying the word. All of a sudden, the devil hears you, gets serious, and begins to persecute you. Tribulation comes. Yeah, nothing about decreeing and declaring in here. You're totally messing this text up. And you fall away. See, immature Christians need help walking out a prophetic word. Hey, even when a mature Christian is hit with tribulation and persecution over a life-changing prophecy, they need strong friends to encourage them to keep standing. Listen, don't try to walk it out alone. Get some help. So notice what she's done here. The one thing that is not possible in her way of thinking is that the person who spoke the prophecy is a false prophet. No, no, no. It's, it's the fault of the hearer. The hearer was immature. The, the hearer had rocky soil. The, the hearer didn't decree and declare. That's why the prophecy didn't come to pass. Yeah, shifting of blame. And, and this is not at all warranted by Matthew 13 at all. Deuteronomy 18 rules this out. Let me read a little from Jeremiah chapter 23, 16 through 29. Here's where the real problem is. The fault has nothing to do with the person so-called receiving the prophecy. The fault is with the one giving the prophecy that doesn't come to pass, because they are a false prophet. Jeremiah twenty three sixteen. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak the visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of Yahweh. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you and everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart. They say, no disaster shall come upon you. Uh-huh. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of Yahweh, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of Yahweh will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. 
I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned from their evil way and from their and the evil of their of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies, who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream well tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. The written word is what he's referring to. What is straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Yeah, there's a simple reason, Jennifer, why prophecies are not coming true. It's not the fault of the person who heard the prophecy. It's the fault of the person who spoke the deceit of their own heart, who were lying in the name of the Lord. God doesn't stutter. When he gives a prophecy, it comes to pass. Surround yourself with people of like precious faith. Then Matthew 13, verse 22, Jesus said, He also who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Yeah, kind of like Jennifer LeClaire. She's completely unfruitful here. She's extremely deceitful. I could say a lot there, but let me just say this. The enemy works often with distractions. He doesn't care so much if you chase a good thing as long as it's not the God thing. We need to be careful to diligently focus on the prophecy, or we may find ourselves focused on everything else but the promise. Finally, in verse 23, Jesus said this. He said, but he who received the seed on the, gr- on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit. Some produce a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. I don't know about you. I want the hundred times. And this is what we all want, right? We want a heart that is open to what God says, understands his kingdom purpose, and presses through the warfare to see the promise come to pass. So where do we go from here? Well, although a prophetic word is not on par with Scripture, a prophecy that's been judged true can be used as a sword in the spirit realm to do battle against the enemy's assignments. Continue to declare the prophetic word over your life. Remember, the enemy doesn't really care about you. Yes, he hates you, but he ultimately just wants the prophetic word to be marred, not to come to pass, to fall to the ground, because it's when God's will comes to earth that God is glorified. Yeah, again, it's, apparently it's up to you to make sure prophecies, you know, the God's word that he says when something's going to happen. It's up to you to make it happen. Wrong. It's up to God. God's the one who spoke it. So when God sends a prophet and they speak a word and it doesn't come to pass, that's why Deuteronomy 18 says that that prophet has spoken presumptuously. They have not heard the word of the Lord. I think you get the point. So Jennifer LeClaire, 
false teaching on prophecy, false teaching on failed prophecy, in order to cover this up and put the blame on the person receiving the prophecy rather than one who, who spoke the prophecy falsely. She's now twisted Jesus' words in Matthew 13. This woman is an extremely dangerous woman. Any of you who read Charisma magazine need to cancel your subscription and not listen to these people. They are sending you to hell rather than pointing you to Christ. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a Joshua Mills update as well as Guillermo Maldonado, a new revelation about the Holy Spirit. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. So, uh, do you know why I called you in here today? Am I in trouble? Oh, no, 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 of course not. We're just worried about you. Is this about my tithes? You know, I- I'm so sorry. I forgot the $5. Well, you hate me now, don't you? Oh, no. No, you've been very good about meeting your tithe quota. Besides, if this had been about your tithes, we would have sent someone to your house. I just wanted to discuss your attitude because some of the elders have started to talk about it. My attitude? Oh, yes, your attitude. You see, we're all about our Congress having audacious faith. But we've noticed that you seem to be having difficulty being on Jesus during services. Um, are you talking about the Holy Ghost, Hokey Pokey? Is I not dancing right? You know, I, I tried practicing at home, but when I put my whole self in, I fell over and injured Fluffles. Who is Fluffles? Well, uh, he's my cat, and after I fell down, I didn't know if he was breathing. Okay, we, we seen you straight from the top. Look, you don't have to dance during the services. But you could at least start singing. I mean, what's the point of having jumbo screens with sing-along lyrics if people aren't being audacious and using them? When I was younger, I had this bird, and I decided to take it outside with me and start singing to it, and a hawk dove down and snatched Muffin from my finger. Oh, dear. Uh, I'm so sorry about 
muffin. But let's get back to the present point. If you don't want to sing or dance during the service, then I guess we'll let you have make that choice. But if nothing else, would you please be more daisies and just do the hand motions? Well, last year, I had my gerbil outside and his hamster ball, and... Uh, the interview is not going as expected. Well, I was practicing hand motions, and my bracelet caught a glare in a driver's eye, and the car swerved, and it hit Mr. Cuddles. He flew into the mouth of an octopus living in the sewer. Apparently, he didn't taste very good, so he spit him back up into the street where my neighbor ran him over with his lawnmower, which broke the hamster ball, but not Mr. Cuddles. So then Mr. Cuddles escaped, and then a dog thought Mr. Cuddles was a chew toy, so he chewed on him. But Mr. Cuddles didn't like that, so he survived, and I got him back. Well, that's finally something positive. I bet you anything that Mr. Cuddles would love for you to be more audacious in church. Well, but he died a week later from rabies that he got from the octopus. Uh, well, I think we'll have to schedule a second meeting for you sometime in the next... Never. I, I mean months. Liturgical art is a beautiful expression of Christ's great love for us. I'm Kelly Schumacher, founder of Ani's Day Arts, and I would like to help you learn about liturgical art and the beauty it portrays as you view it through paintings, drawings, sculptures, and altarpieces. I'm available to speak with your group. My website is anusdayarts.com, A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that when a prophecy doesn't come true, the fault doesn't lie with you, it lies with the person who made the prophecy. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend, truly depend, and I mean that. We depend upon you and your generous gifts and your financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. And you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. 
And uh, when you join our crew, you get to pick your rank. There are four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is uh, Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution or would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support, because we truly cannot do what we're doing here without it. Now, I want to let you know, um, we're... To help us get through the summer slump, and I don't know what it is about summer times, but uh, summertime every year we always have a little bit of a slump. We ha- we have a bake sale now. We are in the process, and we will have it up shortly. We are in the process of uh, you know making available to the general public this year's Pirate Christian Radio T-shirt, and uh, and so we will have that up shortly. In the meantime. Uh, the other item that we have made available for purchase is a game that we have developed. It's a card game, and the name of the card game is Reformanda. And Reformanda, the best way I can describe it, it is an educational game. And it is a cooperative team play game. If I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, game Pandemic. It's kind of a mix between Pandemic and Risk. And uh, there are there are you know six different major areas of the world where churches exist. And your job in Reformanda is to work cooperatively as a team to make it so that so that there's a remnant church that hasn't fallen into heresy. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic game. I played it with uh, with my kids and, uh, you know, in fact, it's my kids and, uh, and some family friends who helped develop Reformanda. And if you'd like to learn about Reformanda, Head over to our website, ref and, and uh, piratechristian.com or fightingforthefaith.com, and along the uh, the right hand side, there is uh, there is a little ad banner that says "New Reformanda Card Game." You can click on that, and and I'll say this: you know, from moving forward, everybody who joins our crew at the twenty four ninety five a month or above. So if you join our crew. And uh, you come in as a gunner's mate. If you come in as a gunner's mate, we will send you a copy of Reformanda. Or, of course, you can purchase it without joining our crew. You can purchase Reformanda for uh, twenty four ninety five, and we will send you a, uh, a copy of it. But um, we previewed it at the Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Received some, you know, great feedback and response to it. So again, Reformanda, our, our brand new card game, available at piratechristian.com. All right, we've got to get back to the program. We've got a lot of ground that we need to cover. And uh, since we're doing a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Twin Spin, well, we might as well do this. Oh. Hallelujah. Get up right now. Listen to this. 
That's Robert Tilton and Hubabaconda. So we're heading over to Shiloh Church Fellowship, where uh, Patricia King holds court and is the, apparently the pastrix prophetess there. And uh, she recently invited Joshua Mills to speak at one of her conferences, and so he came and spoke at her Shiloh Fellowship as well. And here is Joshua Mills giving a story about... Well, the early days of the Pentecostal movement, even just a little bit before Azusa Street, and of course he leaves some important historical data out of the equation, which we will put in. Here's Joshua Mills. It could never come apart from the Word. I heard not too long ago that there was a a group of Bible school students that were in Topeka, Kansas, This is before Azusa Street happened. They're in Topeka, Kansas, and Charles Parham gave them an assignment. And the assignment was, I want you to look and see in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, the sappy music soundtrack is part of his preaching shtick. If there's some sort of evidence or confirmation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What kind of scriptural evidence, what kind of proof, scriptural proof, is there for a people that receive that gift or that promise of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's take a look at what Scripture says on that, and we'll give you a little bit of history on the... um, charismatic movement, thanks to the scholarship of uh, John MacArthur. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 will it rule something out here. If you're familiar with the Pentecostal and charismatic movements, their claim is that the uh, the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so they you know their two distinctives are they believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is apart from regular baptism as evidenced by speaking in tongues. But the Apostle Paul rules this out in 1 Corinthians 12. Here's what he says, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Or all apostles. May pantas apostoloi is what it says in the Greek. And the Greek particle may means the question has to be answered in the negative. In other words, we know for a fact, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that every one of these questions must be answered with a definitive no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So, yeah, so the definitive evidence of supposedly the baptism of the Holy Spirit cannot, and I mean this, cannot be the gift of tongues because not all speak with tongues. That's what Scripture says. So you get the idea. Something's going wrong here. Charles Parham went away for the weekend. This is what I understand. And his Bible school students, they begin to devour the word. And begin to look all through Acts chapter 2, up and down, back and forth, right and left, to and fro, all over Acts chapter 2. They must have missed 1 Corinthians 12, yeah. Uh, So so we're going to limit our search to Acts chapter 2. 
yeah, you you might want to do a broader biblical study on the topic. And after the weekend, Charles came back. I love that. Last night I said, I was talking about my friend Catherine, and now I'm talking about Charles. You know. (laughs) How many of you know we're all brothers and sisters in Christ? Wow, what a legacy of faith we have been given. And uh, he came back, and he asked the Bible school students, he said, have you found anything? And they said, we found it. We found it according to the word, according to the word. The word says that when the the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to mankind, there was a supernatural utterance that began to come from people's mouths. And if it happened in the word, (laughs) that as we give ourselves to God and we ask for that promise of the Holy Spirit to be given to us we can believe that there is some sort of evidence the Bible evidence the scriptural evidence that can be given to us and so they begin to pray and the first one that got it wasn't the pastor the first one that got it wasn't even the evangelist. The first one that got it wasn't a man. But the first one that began speaking an unknown, supernatural, heavenly, God-given vocabulary. (laughs) Taught of the Spirit. Equipped by the glory. The first one that began to Now what Joshua is doing there is actually expressly forbidden in Scripture. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting at verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each, of, uh, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any... Speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and God. Yeah, Scripture forbids what he's doing here. He's speaking without an interpreter. Yeah, that's not tongues. Tongues are actual human languages. That's nonsense. Was a woman that believed the word. Yeah, that wasn't a demonic cackle now, was it? All right, from the Grace to You uh, website, uh, years ago, John MacArthur uh, wrote a book called Charismatic Chaos, and this is actually posted on the Grace to You website called Tongue Tide Part 1. And um, in this, this is the uh, preface to the Chinese edition of Charismatic Chaos, and I found this quite interesting. Here's what uh, John MacArthur wrote in 1900, yeah, the year 1900, uh, Mr. Parham founded Bethel Bible College in Topeka, Kansas, specifically to train holiness missionaries. 
He believed if his students could recover the Pentecostal gift of tongues, they would be able to take the gospel to all nations without any need to learn languages. He further became convinced that the gift of tongues was the only true sign of Holy Spirit baptism. Soon, his fascination with speaking in tongues became an obsession. As the year 1900 drew to a close, Parham urged his students to spend several days in fasting and prayer, seeking the restoration of that apostolic gift. On New Year's Day, January 1st, 1901, one of Parham's students, Agnes Osman, began uttering random syllables. Those who heard her concluded that she was speaking Chinese, though none of them knew any Chinese dialect. For the rest of the day, she seemed unable to speak in English, and she wrote with a kind of stylized scribbling that Parham and his disciples judged to be Chinese. The students were convinced their prayers had been answered and that what they were witnessing was the very same miraculous phenomenon described in Acts chapter 2. Within days, however, a sample of Ms. Osmond's writing was published in a newspaper. It provides objective proof that Parham's claims were totally false. It is a scrap of paper covered with crude, undecipherable, artificial hieroglyphs that clearly have nothing in common with Chinese characters. In fact, like the random syllables she spoke, Miss Osmond's writing has none of the characteristics of any language at all. Parham, nevertheless, insisted that Ms. Osmond had spoken with written Chinese. In fact, Parham himself and at least 30 other students now claim they too had received the gift of tongues. In the face of careful scrutiny and hard questions, Parham defiantly enlarged his original fiction. Here's a quote from uh, the book The Revival Legacy of Charles F. Parham. Here's what it says. He announced that the students had spoken many languages. He himself had received the capability of preaching in German and Swedish, Agnes Osman in Chinese and others in variety of languages, including Japanese, Hungarian, Syrian, Hindi, and Spanish. Parham noted that cloven tongues of fire appeared over the heads of speakers. Sometimes interpretations followed such as God is love, Jesus is mighty to save, and Jesus is ready to hear. End quote. Parham zealously advertised the phenomenon, insisting it was a momentous breakthrough in missionary strategy. At least six months after numerous language experts had stated that Agnes Osmond's scribbles bore no likeness whatsoever to Chinese writing, Parham was still feeding newspaper reporters his own highly embellished version of events. A typical report from that time cited, you know, cited his very words. This is taken from the Hawaiian Gazette, May 31st, 1901, page 10. Quote, We are expecting thousands of ministers, evangelists, and other people from all parts of the United States who desire to become missionaries to attend. There is no doubt that at this time they will have conferred on them the gift of tongues if they are worthy and seek it in faith. Notice the bad theology. Believing that they will thus be made able to talk to the people whom they choose to work among in their own language, which will, of course, be an inestimable advantage. The students of Bethel College do not need to study in the old way to learn the languages. They have, they have them conferred on them miraculously. Different ones have already been able to converse with Spaniards, Italians, Bohemians, Hungarians, Germans, and French in their own language. I have no doubt various dialects of the people of India and even the language of the savages of Africa will be received during our meeting in the same way. I expect this gathering to be the greatest since the days of Pentecost. 
Yeah, that's from the Hawaiian Gazette. Uh huh. Parham was lying, of course, but his students naively accepted his assurance that the uh, sounds that they were uttering were legitimate foreign languages. Their teacher had admonished them not to entertain any doubts or put their gift to the test. Therefore, over the next decade, several teams of missionaries under Parham's influence went overseas expecting to be able to preach and converse in languages that they had never studied. The failure of the Pentecostal missionary strategy was immediate and spectacular. An article published in 1909 described the fiasco in these words. This was taken from um, uh, the uh, Irving Edward and Unknown Tongues, a homiletic review uh, published in 1909. Here's what it says. Missionary S.C. Todd of the Bible Missionary Society has made investigations personally in three mission fields and among four groups of well-meaning but deluded people who have gone from this country to Japan, to China, and to India expecting to preach to the natives of those countries in their own tongue, but in no single instance have been able to do so. They have needed an interpreter interpreter even in the commonest, commonest of affairs of life. Some of them are in absolute destitution and are dependent on their Christian brethren there for the necessities of life and are as helpless as babes. In some cases, they are in danger of losing all faith in the supernatural and religion and drifting into infidelity and sin, end quote. Failure and scandal seem to sully everything that Parham touched. Less than a year after its founding, Bethel Bible College in Topeka closed permanently. Five years later, newspapers across the country reported that some of Parham's followers in Illinois had beaten an invalid woman to death in an effort to drive the demon out of rheumatism, a demon of rheumatism uh, from her body. Before the shock of that story subsided, Parham was arrested in San Antonio, Texas, and charged with sodomy. He wrote a confession in order to obtain his release, but later recanted his own admission of guilt. He had discredited himself in every conceivable sense. His reputation never fully recovered from the scandals, but Parham was relentless, and he always seemed to be able to attract willing disciples. Yeah, when he died in 1929, more than 2,500 people attended his funeral, even though it was held in a remote Kansas town during a fierce blizzard. I think you get the point here. So I find it fascinating that Joshua Mills is invoking Charles Parham when the details of Charles Parham's life are uh, quite spectacularly awful. I mean, this man was a uh, basically a Looney Tunes uh, cuckoo bird is the best way to put it. I mean, I, you know, why anyone would quote him, cite him, or invoke him and think that somehow he is a legitimate bona fide Christian who, you know, was there when the gift of the Holy Spirit was, you know, re-outpoured, uh, you know, you know, that's just nonsense. Um, gets worse, though. Let's listen as um, Joshua Mills continues. A woman that said, I'm going to walk through this word. Nobody else is walking this way, but this is the way I'm going to go. A woman who said, I'm going to stand on this. I got it in Acts chapter 2. I got it. I got it. And I'm not letting go of it. I got it. If you get it in the word, you can have it. If God said it, it belongs to you. 
A woman that said, I'm not going to be comfortable anywhere else except in the word. Society doesn't make me comfortable. It's not my money that makes me comfortable. It's not my position, my power that makes me comfortable, but I want to be found in the word, the place of being so lost. And so yeah, for somebody who's making a big to do about being found in the word, it's weird. He's already twisted it. Surrendered to him that nothing else really matters. Oh, A woman that walked through the word, stood on the word, found herself seated in the word. And the scriptures promised, as you meditate day and night, night and day, the word becoming your living reality. You will be blessed. Your leaves are not going to wither. And whatever you do is going to begin to prosper. And God used that woman in Topeka, Kansas, as a forerunner, a woman on the front line that opened up modern day encounters of the Holy Spirit. No, she was discredited as somebody who wasn't speaking Chinese or wasn't even speaking anything or writing anything even remotely approaching a, a real language. Body of Christ. Somebody that was willing to go beyond their earthly experience and take a journey into the Word. There are so many places that are awaiting you. So many encounters that are just waiting for somebody to walk on in. Stand upon and sit down for a while and say, I ain't letting go. I am not. I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to back up. It's his word. It's his word. And he watches over his way. He's waiting for some people that will just come into agreement with the word. Not just with your head, but with your heart. Spirit to spirit. Glory to glory. I'm connecting. I'm connecting. I'm connecting. I'm connecting. So I told you last night that I had this prophetic word from the Lord. And it set me on a journey. And I began going from Genesis to Revelation. Look, I mean, all over, just looking, looking, looking. Oh, God, I, I need to find every place where you said you're taking out the old, putting in the new. You said that you are still transporting people today. God, I, I want to find every place where you did it before. <laughs> and I want to walk through that door right there, that door. I want to go. All the way in. And then John chapter 20. Turn there with me. Yeah, watch this twist. And then we'll switch gears and head over to Apostle. Uh, yeah, I had to put that in air quotes. Guillermo Moldonado. But just one little thing here. Watch what he does. 
This is where we left off last night. And if you, if you weren't there last night, then you need to get the Saturday evening session from Power Encounter Revival Meetings Conference. And, uh, and it will bless you real good. I can say that because I know it was a blessing. I, I was preaching. Um, <laughs> uh, John chapter 20. Verse 19, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and just stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. He literally walked right through the wall and just appeared before the disciples. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the father has sent me. I also send you and I got now watch where he's going to do with this. You will. I mean, you might want to be sitting down. I I can't play the warning, but you want to be sitting down right now. So Jesus appears. Peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I am sending you watch what he thinks this is about. I got this. It it leaped in my spirit. I got it. I saw it as a doorway. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. The Father just sent you through the wall. The Father just sent Jesus in a supernatural way through the wall. And Jesus stands up and says, in the same way that the Lord has sent me supernaturally, the Father has sent me supernaturally. He says, supernaturally, yeah, through the wall. I'm now sending you in a supernatural way. And so I got it. And I begin to meditate on this and and begin to walk through this a little bit. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. God, you are sending me in the same way that Jesus was sent, in a supernatural way you want to send me. And so this began to stir in my spirit. And then I want to stand on it. And so I, I began positioning myself as I would pray day to day. I'd, I'd position myself up against the wall. Believing that God could supernaturally take me from one side of the wall to the other from the... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he'll go on to explain that. So apparently, Joshua Mills, I mean, he he thinks that as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. You know, God God sent me through the wall supernaturally, so I'm going to send you through the walls supernaturally, too. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense, and this is totally debunked in the book of Acts. I mean, think of it this way. When Peter was imprisoned, uh how did he get out? God sent an angel and opened the door for him. Didn't send him supernaturally through the wall, now did he? No, he did not. So, I mean, there's Joshua Mills preaching for Patricia King, waxing eloquent about Charles Parham as if somehow that guy's legit. And if you just read the history of him, you find out he's a you know a three dollar you know three dollar bill charlatan is what he is. And at least what he was. And uh, and now, well, apparently, you know, now the, the whole, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you, means that, Jesus, that God's sending us, Jesus is sending us to be able to walk through walls. And, of course, um, Joshua Mills is claiming that uh, he's pulled this off already. Yeah, that's exactly where he's going to go with this. So I think you get the point. Moving along. <laughs> 
What do you want to do Time for a new apostolic Same reformation update. Night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain is Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. all right, we're uh, heading over to Guillermo Maldonado's, um, well, CAP conference. CAP conference. Apparently, we, we've got some new revelation about, you know, what the Holy Spirit can respond to, what doesn't respond to, will respond to. None of it's in the Bible, but of course, Guillermo Maldonado claims to be an apostle, so, you know, this has got to be on the level. It's totally legit. You might just add this to your Bible. We'll call it the Epistle of Guillermo. How's that? Here he is to explain. I asked God, Yo le pedí a and Dios. I said, God, there's no... Please, I, I beg you, I pray. Por favor, señor, oro, te there's no one single person in that arena, que no quede ni uno en la arena without having a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you one of the requirements. Pero le voy a decir uno de los requisitos. All right, so we, apparently we've got requirements now for having a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit and the Apostle, you have to put that in air quotes, Guillermo Maldonado is now going to start laying out the new requirements for having an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Here we go. And many of you are tired. Muchos están cansados. Uh, many of you, so you must have a sacrifice of praise and worship. Así que tiene que traernos All right, so if you want to have a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit, um. Yeah, yeah. Requirement number one is yeah, time to cough up a sacrifice of praise. Yeah, if you don't do that, you can't expect to have, um, you know, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Alabanza I want you to listen very carefully. Escuche cuidadosamente. The Holy Spirit only comes where He's worshipped. El Espíritu Santo solo viene donde. Oh, I see. Okay, so maybe these are new requirements. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit only comes where he's worshipped. He can't actually appear anywhere else. Uh, new rules and requirements. Okay. Dorado. No, no, do, number two. Número dos. The Holy Spirit only comes El Espíritu Santo solo viene. where he is, listen, donde él es, where he is acknowledged. Donde All right, so you need a sacrifice of praise. You have to worship because the Holy Spirit won't show up unless there's worship going on. Got it. <laughs> If you don't open your mouth, si usted no abre su boca, just go like this, si the Holy Spirit will not come over you. El Santo no sobre usted. You have to acknowledge Him. Tiene que you have to open your mouth Tiene que abrir su boca and say, Holy Spirit, Espíritu Santo, yo reconozco tu presencia. I acknowledge your presence. Sé que estás aquí. I know that you're here. I need you. Te necesito. 
I want you to come upon me. Quiero que venga sobre I want mí. you to rise up within me. Que te levantes dentro de mí. Number one. Número uno. The Spirit only comes. El Espíritu solo viene. Where He's worshipped. Donde es adorado. The Spirit only comes. El Espíritu solo viene. Where He's acknowledged. Donde es reconocido. The Spirit only comes. El Espíritu solo viene. Where He's received. Donde es recibido. Yeah. I, again, I'm not sure where He's getting this stuff. It's not in the Bible, but you know He, he is an apostle, so that sounds really important. You know. Si usted tiene un invitado en casa, you have a guest tiene un invitado home. en casa, you have a guest at home. y usted no le dice, yeah, you have a guest in your casa, so you know he, he, that that's kind of important stuff right there. And you don't tell them to come in. Bienvenido. Oh yeah, yeah. If you don't tell the Holy Spirit to come in, I mean that's like having a guest in your casa and <laughs> not inviting him in. Okay. Come. I love you. Te amo. You're special. It is special. Oh, right. Yeah. See, the Holy Spirit's a little timid or something like that. You know, sitting outside of your casa, you know, kind of, you know, looking at the ground. It's like, hey there, Holy Spirit. I... Are you okay, Holy Spirit? Yeah, I'm all right. You know, I'm... Um, are you going to receive me? Um, oh, Sure. Holy Spirit, you're so amazing. I love you. Oh, well, that, that makes me that definitely makes me feel better. Maybe I'll come in. La persona no se siente celebrada. The person doesn't feel celebrated. So I want you to, you and him, have communion. Así que quiero... Oh, yeah, you, you got to have communion with the Holy Spirit. But again, you know, you got to worship. You got that sacrifice of praise requirement. You got to acknowledge him. You got to receive, you know, because if you're not doing any of those things, I mean, the Holy Spirit, yeah, he can't help, you know, he just won't come in and you won't, he'll, he'll be standing right outside your casa, just looking through the windows, looking sad, you know. La Biblia dice, y la comunión del Espíritu sea con vosotros. Well, yeah, the, the Bible does say that, but the Bible didn't say any of the other stuff that you're saying. Spirit never caught attention to himself. El Espíritu Santo nunca llama atención a sí mismo. Nunca. Never. His job is to glorify Jesus. Su trabajo es glorificar a Right. Yeah. Um it sounds like the Holy Spirit you're preaching about his job is to glorify you, Guillermo. His job is to reveal the cross. Su trabajo revelar la cruz. His job is to reveal the Father. Su trabajo revelar al Padre. But tonight. Pero esta noche. Quiero que levanten sus manos. I want you to raise your hands. Jesus, the most purest man on the earth. Jesús, el hombre más puro en la tierra. He was when he was 30 years old. A los 30 años. He was so hungry for God. Tenía tal hambre de Dios. Hungry. He was he was very hungry. He was so hungry. Tenía tal hambre. As men. And he was standing outside your casa. And he was hungry. Hombre. Not as God, no como Dios, sino como hombre. As a man, tenía tanta hambre de Dios. He was so hungry for God. He had to seek an encounter with the Spirit. Que tuvo que buscar un encuentro. Um, what? Where in the Bible does it talk about Jesus being so hungry that he he had to seek an encounter with the Spirit? What are you talking about? Si Jesucristo, el Hijo de Dios puro, Jesus, pure God, tuvo que buscar un encuentro, ¿cuánto más nosotros? Esta es la última. Pack Jesus, man. He's hungry.
and he's outside your casa, and and he's and he's just seeking an encounter with the spirit. Poor Jesus, the hungry Jesus, he had to do that. I mean, don't you think we gotta do that too? I mean, he is pouring this on thick. Uh, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus was hungry and seeking an encounter with the Spirit? And, and uh, yeah, no biblical text says this. There isn't one, because Guillermo Maldonado is literally making stuff up. And, man, he is putting down the emotional thumbscrews on these people. And he's deceiving them uh, badly. And then again, the person who comes out on top via his deceptions, is Guillermo. I mean, you should see the clothes he wears. I mean, seriously, I, I mean, I'm just looking at him. I That's well, probably ten grand just in clothing, not alone, you know, forget the watch and other stuff. Uh, yeah, this is, the guy's a charlatan and a huckster is what he is. All right, you get the point. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard, on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash higher Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at higher Christian. Quick break when we come back, heading down to PDX Church in Portland, Oregon for the sermon titled Exqueeze Yourself. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. 
back, hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Fighting for the Faith, we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via PDX Church. Yeah, PDX, the airport code for the Portland airport. Uh, they've recently gone seeker driven there. Uh, Steve Graham is the vision casting leader. And uh, we're going to listen to his sermon titled, Exqueeze Yourself from the Breathing Room sermon series. Man, I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. So, I think that's all that we need to explain there. So, let me back off on the music. Without any further ado, here's Steve Graham. We're starting a new series called Breathing Room. And we're talking about that distance or that space that's somehow between our current pace and our limits. Between that space where it's it's about all you can do versus what you're presently doing. Now, for some of us, our lives look kind of like this, you know? And, and for some of you, you're thinking, what? There's nothing wrong with that. Because that's maybe how the back of your car looks right now. Or when you pack your suitcase, maybe that's how it looks. So for you today, you might be a little confused at times when we talk about things. Because this might be the space by which you live in. And, and, and that's okay if your car looks like that. We'll just push things aside to ride with you. And it's okay if your room looks like that or whatever. But what's bad is when life looks like that. Right. Whatever you do, you don't, you don't want your life to look like a cluttered car. That, that's bad. Thus saith the Lord. Life looks like that. Because what we find so often is that we get ourselves in positions where we fill our life with so much stuff continually, there's there's no room for anything. So is this a sermon about hoarding? And everything we do ends up being our second best. And we know we could do better, but we don't have the time. Because we continue to fill our lives with more and more and more. And some of you are, are going to tell me later, well, I'm retired. That doesn't apply to me. You know what? I've seen some of you retired busier than people who are working. How does this come in our lives? Well, some of the things that happen is, is we feel like we have to achieve certain things, don't we? And, and, and the dream is always bigger and better. If, if you just work that extra job and you work in a couple of jobs, then someday you're going to have lots of money. Uh, uh-huh. What biblical text are you preaching on, Steve? If you just work that extra job and you work in a couple of jobs, then someday you're going to have lots of money. 
You know, if you take all the extra training you can, then someday you're going to be a little smarter than everyone else. If you just read more, get more information, if you volunteer in all sorts of organizations, you know, that you're doing better with your life. And we, we collect these acclamations or these awards or, the, or these things that might set us apart on a resume. And we can list all those wonderful things about ourselves, you know. I, I help at the Kiwanis Club. I've done a mission trip. Um, I go build houses in Haiti with people. Um, I, I, I give to children who have no food. Um, I, I serve downtown, sometimes handing out sandwiches and helping with the homeless. You know, I, I go to church. I, I take an extra class now and then. Um, I work two jobs. I have 17 kids. You know, and it goes on and on. On. You watch young parents, and it seems like the challenge today is to see how many things you can put your kids in. And I watch people running from space to space, you know, rushing, going, and all that moms and dads end up being are delivery drivers. And their kids jump in the car and they say, hey, and, and, and they, you, you say hello, and you deliver them to the place, and your kids say, can I ask you a question before you drop them off? Yeah, what's that? I forgot your name. What's your name? But there's the pressure, isn't there? You know, if you don't do the right things, your kids won't get in the right um, preschool. You know, and if you don't do the right things, they're not going to they're not going to achieve the goals in their life and they're not going to end up going to the right college and university and they won't get the job that you want them to have and they won't be able to get ahead the way you want them to get ahead. And there's all this fear about what might happen if I don't do this, if I don't do that. What exactly is the the problem here? Again, I just have to ask the question, are we dealing with something that the Bible calls sin? If so, then I'd like to see the biblical commands that are being broken so that I don't, you know, continue to go on sinning here. You know, that that would be bad. I mean, if this is really a, a sin that we're dealing with here, then, you know, we need some biblical guidelines. Thus saith the Lord, I don't want you becoming... Um, a taxi service for your children, uh, you know, things like that. I mean, I'm a little confused. What exactly is the issue that's being addressed here? To it. The reality is that the pace of our lives end up being so fast and so furious compared to the space we actually have. That we end up very disappointed and frustrated. All right, so I become frustrated because my pace is bad in my life. So, so I need to create a better pace for my life. Got it. And we go to bed at night saying, why do I do this? My life is so cluttered and busy and so hectic that I can't keep track of anything. And yet we get back up and we do it again and again and again. So what's the motivation that leads us to do these kinds of things? Because if it's not happiness, if it's not satisfaction or fulfillment, 
If it's not actually living the dream we thought we'd have, why do we keep doing it? What, what drives us to keep moving forward when we already know it's not working? Right. Kind of like, what's your motivation for continuing with the sermon? It's not working. Basically, it comes down to the fact that we're afraid. We're afraid that somehow we might not measure up. You know? That we didn't keep up with the other guy, or we didn't keep up with the other gal. That, that so-and-so has a master's degree, yeah, but so-and-so has a doctoral degree. And, and well, I have a little lemonade stand, and he owns a corporation. And, and, I, and I, you know, my kids, they, they, they can, um, you know, clean the yard, but his kid is a virtuoso violinist. And we're driven, driven out of fear. I've spent enough time in the public schools uh, working with teachers and being a coach and and being around people that, that I've seen this played out over and over again. So many parents afraid that their little boy or little girl isn't going to become a professional athlete. You know what? They're not. They're not. Do you know how small a percentage of children become professional athletes? It's so minuscule. And yet everybody's shooting for the goal. I've watched fathers stand on the sidelines and cry at football games because their son's not being put in. And it's only sixth grade football. I've also watched parents belittle their children, tear them down. Had a young lady on my track team years ago. She was the leading time in the 1500 in our district. And she was doing really well, only a sophomore. And her parents came out to watch her run. And and as she ran, her father stood with his arms crossed on the sidelines. And I watched her face Because she kept watching him as she'd come around as as each lap happened. And she saw his face and he looked disappointed. And slowly she started fading back. Running against girls she had beaten over and over again. But she faded into the background. And she ended up coming in fourth when she should have easily won the race. And as she walked over to her father to get some sort of approval, he just looked at her and he said, you're never getting to college that way. And he walked away from her. See, this is the kind of pressure we put on each other, on our children, on ourselves. Why do we do it? Is it that that father doesn't love his daughter? No. I know the man. He loves his daughter. He is so afraid that she will end up not getting everything she deserves in life. He's afraid that she might... Do do you have a biblical text? Because the job of a pastor is to preach the word. What is this? I don't know what this is. This is like some kind of nagging tirade that has no biblical point thus far. 
not end up succeeding the way he dreams she could succeed. He's afraid that all his neighbors and friends might not think that she is worthwhile. And so fear motivates us. Fear drives us. And instead of ending up with a life that looks like this, that kind of has its space, is all put together, we throw so much on top of it that it can't possibly look this way. And our world begins to look in disarray. And we're constantly saying, how can I do more? Because the solution is, if my life looks like this, I must not be doing anything worthwhile. So maybe if I do something else, it will help. That seems often to be the solution. Because if I can just do enough, if I can just work hard enough, if I can just do enough to please my folks, if I can just do enough to make everyone happy, if I can just do enough to get ahead financially, if I can just do enough to somehow beat my friends or go to my class reunion and be able to hold my head high because of what I've accomplished. If you can just, like, open the Bible and start preaching it correctly, what is this? And we drive ourselves over and over to a place where we can't perform well at all. To a place where there is no peace. There are no moments to reflect. And there is no room for God to speak into our life. It's interesting because as you look through the Bible, there are examples of incredibly practical things that we don't notice very often. In fact, I want to acknowledge this, and, and I don't mean to be rude, but I think actually those of us who profess to be Christians are worse at this. We, we take pride in being busy, don't we? Have you ever asked another person at church how they're doing and had them not say, I'm so busy? It's the common response. Why? Because that's what we think people want to hear. I'm doing good because I'm so busy. And yet, as we... Yeah, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And could you... You know, you mentioned practical things in the Bible. Could you pull a few of those things out for us? Watch God work with his people as he works through the nation of Israel. And he develops them in such a way that they might be a blessing to the rest of the world. And through them, he might bring his son so that he could show the world his love and demonstrate his incredible care for everyone. He does so by bringing them out of Egypt. And he uses a man named Moses, and Moses goes up a mountain, and he gets the Ten Commandments. And 
And he begins to give laws and rules to them because they've come in out of captivity where all they've ever known is to do the will of the person who owns them. And so we look through the Bible and we wonder why were there so many rules and regulations given and what is this all about this and that and all these things you don't do at this time or that time? And you say, why did God give all that stuff? What was that about? Well, God was trying to help them create a culture. God had an opportunity to start with them brand new. Where are you getting this? It's like you're inventing stuff now. And these folks had come out of a culture where they had no say in what they did with their lives, where they had no authority, no ability to decide what they could or couldn't do. And it's interesting because some of the things he tells them is to set aside a day, a Sabbath day, to rest. An entire day to rest. Right, yeah. And here in America, we got two of those. It's called the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. (laughs) Uh Now, for you and I and those of us growing up in the U.S. of A., that might not seem very incredible or amazing because actually, you know, we some of us think we deserve two days of rest, you know, a weekend, a whole weekend. I was watching people this weekend, and they were figuring they deserved four days of rest. Because on Thursday night, you couldn't get on the freeway. And they've got clear till Monday night right now. Everybody heading out of town. We think sometimes we deserve a lot. But revolutionary to these folks, the idea of taking a day off was was astounding. But in reality, it is to us as well. You know, we, we want our free time. But so often, we fill our free time with just more to do, right? I heard a saying once that I loved. It said this. You never truly own anything. Everything you have owns you. Isn't that the reality sometimes of our lives? You get that car you thought you had to have, you got to take care of it. You get that house that just, you had to have that house, you got to fix it all the time. You get the dog you thought would help bring all the ease to your life. You've got to walk him. You've got to help him go out to the bathroom. You've got to feed him. Who buys a dog thinking that a dog is going to bring ease to their life? I don't know anybody who's ever thought that. You've got to fix the things he chews up. And on and on and on it goes till our life is consumed and we have no breathing space. No breathing space. Oh, no, we have no breathing space. What are we going to do? 
And see, God speaks into our world, and he says, you need space. In fact, so much so, he says that you need a whole day where you do nothing. Right, and Americans have two of those. (laughs) Notice he hasn't actually read a single text yet. I mean, we've gotten some weird summaries, but he ain't preaching the word, that's for sure. Because the Sabbath wasn't the idea that you had a day to have fun. That's the idea we get. In fact, dads think the idea of Sabbath was a day for you to do the chores around the house that hadn't gotten done, right? And that's what, that's what we learned growing up, most of us, because we get Sunday so that we can do chores around the house. But the Sabbath was really to help people see that they needed to rest, clear their mind. Have enough silence and space to actually hear God speak to your heart. Um, what? Uh, the Sabbath had nothing to do with God speaking to people's hearts. Uh, you're going to look long and hard in the Old Testament to find a text that says that because it doesn't exist. Another place where God speaks into this is he talks to his people about a tithe. And he teaches them to set aside 10%. And and among the Jewish people, they would set aside 10%, not in the way that you and I might think of it. They would have a jar. And they actually collected it where they could visually see... Mm. Okay, so they had tip jars for tithing. Got it. Which text says that? I'm not saying it's not there. I just like to actually see you crack open your Bible and try to show us something from the Scriptures, from an actual passage, with real words from the Bible, you know? What they were setting apart for God. When you say, well, how does that create space? That doesn't make sense to me. And this sermon's not about giving. No, and the sermon's not about making sense either. It's about space. Right. Lots and lots of outer space. Apparently in your head. How does giving 10% setting aside for God create space in your life? That makes no sense. Because it teaches a precept. And precept is a consistent concept that is taught over time that we use as foundational in our lives. And we we begin to learn that we don't have the ability to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. So the tithe is about learning that We don't have the ability to take care of ourselves. (laughs) I I, I just don't know what to do with this. Okay, sure. I mean, you're just pulling stuff out of the sky now. Okay. See, when you start to say, I'm going to set 10% of what I have aside for God, you are saying that God is capable of taking care of me If I set aside 10% of what I have. 
It's not a need thing. It's not that God set up in heaven one day and said, I got to get some cash. I'm running a little bit low. I, I don't have enough. I mean, because if God is God and he can do the things he says he can do, then why would he ever need your money or your stuff? He doesn't. So why would he suggest that you set 10% of what you have aside for him? Why on earth would you attempt to answer a question like this without a biblical text? Have you ascended up into heaven? Have you sat in the council of the Trinity and overheard them speaking? Where are you getting this stuff? You don't have authority to preach other than what God has already revealed. And you're not doing that. You're asking questions you do not have a biblical answer to. Because he wants you to understand that the harder you work doesn't mean the better you do. The more you fill your life with doesn't mean the more successful you become. And the more you hoard your money and things will not necessarily get you further ahead. Now, getting ahead happens in a lot of ways, doesn't it? It's not always how much money you have in the bank. It's not always how much you're worth. It's not always how much spending cash you've got. Getting ahead means a lot of things in life. And doesn't it mean something in our world with our relationships? I've seen a lot of people get ahead with their things and fall behind with the people they love. Get ahead in terms of having everything they ever could want to buy. And never be able to buy back the love of their children. See, getting ahead isn't necessarily the picture everybody paints for us. Jesus goes on to talk about this. And he uses some language that is confusing because for those of us who are struggling with being afraid that we won't be able to succeed the way we want to or our children won't be able to succeed the way we dream of them succeeding or we won't end up in life in a place where we can take care of ourselves and we might get shipped off to a home or state might have to take care of us or maybe even worse, we'll just have to die somewhere in a gutter. We live with fears like that. Jesus says in Matthew 6.31, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? All right, just so you know, we are literally two-thirds of the way through this sermon, and this is the first appearance of an actual passage of Scripture with any kind of chapter or verse numbers next to it, and it's out of context from the Sermon on the Mount. Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, 
And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. See, that's a really astounding verse because Jesus said, you're worrying about all the external things. And you know what? You're looking just like the people who don't believe in me. Who don't trust me. And is it interesting how we all land on the same page when actually those of us who have said, I I trust God, I put my faith in him, tend to not live the way we say we believe. Jesus said, you know what? All the people around you, everybody around you, all the ones you know who don't believe in me, they run after those things too. It's a common denominator. We all want fine clothes. I was at uh, Dave and Buster's uh, game room last weekend, and I was playing video games, and I saw a fine young man walk by in some nice clothes. And I thought, if I could just look like that. Dondre was there, and he was looking so good, and, and he had his nice clothes on. And I thought, if I only had those clothes, I would look tall and slim and muscular too. See, we all dream of that, and we think that's the solution, right? Although... I'm never going to look like him. I'm never going to be as tall as he is, and I don't have that fine look anymore. I, I can tell you I used to, and you have to believe that because you don't know. You don't know. You weren't there. We all run after those things, don't we? We all want those things. We all need... So... <laughs> you. Does this rambling nonsense have a point? I mean, he's made the point of taking them from being a Baptist church to being a, a seeker-driven PDX church. You know, so he's trying to be relevant and stuff. And he's not even being lucid. And he's definitely not preaching the Bible. I don't know what this is. Food. We all want clothes. We all want the same stuff in life. We're all running after the same thing. And Jesus says, you know what? Everybody's running after that same thing. Everybody wants as much as they can get. Everybody wants to get ahead. It's like that song. Everybody wants to rule the world. Everybody wants to. Never. Jesus says, why are you worrying about that? Why are you worrying about that? See, people who don't trust me worry about that. He's asking a question. Yeah, um, and boy, you're, you're really putting the punch in there. Really turn this into a lot of law. Will you be preaching the gospel any time in the few minutes that remain in this sermon? He phrases it in such an incredible way that we have to answer a question. Do I trust that God is capable of taking care of me?
do I trust that God is capable of taking care of me? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then... You, you might want to explain what his righteousness is, because that's where you're going to find out the gospel. Yeah, that's the righteousness of God given to us by grace through faith in Christ. All these things will be given to you as well. Jesus said, you know, you don't have to be worrying and running after the same things everyone else is. You don't need to live with fear that you're not enough. You don't need to live with the fear that you will disappoint God or you'll disappoint everyone in your life. You don't need to be living with the fear that you have to be better than everyone in your neighborhood or in your class or at work. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus isn't suggesting you be lazy. He's not suggesting you don't work. He's not suggesting you don't do your best. He's saying, why do you worry? Why are you worried about it? Why are you so stressed out and afraid? Because deep down, we know in those areas where we have cluttered our life, we know that it's because we're afraid. And so many of us have heard words spoken into us, haven't we? We've heard words spoken to us that suggest we're not good enough. You know? Out there on... Well, um, because of our sin, we are not good enough. We can never be good enough to save ourselves. I mean, you want to talk about what Christ has done for us? I mean, I feel like I'm listening to a non-lucid nagging. That's what this is. That doesn't really have a point. I'm glad you brought up, oh, just a wee smidge of uh, of Scripture. Glad you pinched that right out of the text, out of context. At least we get something of the Bible, but boy... Turn it into super law heavy stuff here. I mean, I don't know what this is, but um, I'm hearing nothing, and I mean this nothing about what Christ has done for me. Uh huh, right. The dodgeball court? Were you one of the last guys to get picked? Yeah, they'd pick the girls before me. You know, did your dad always take the tools away? And say, just let me do it. You're not doing it right. Did that teacher tell you? You're never going to get this. You're not smart enough. Now, I don't know the words that you've heard that have told you lies. But I want you to know they're not God's words. He didn't speak them to you. Yeah, the sermon isn't God's words either. It's something different. 
It's like the the words of Steve Graham and the thoughts and the musings of Steve Graham, all designed and calculated to try to be relevant, and then coming up way, 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 way short. You see, Steve, that's the thing about the seeker-driven methodology. Yeah, they tell you all you got to do is do their turnkey thing, you know, and the people will start showing up in droves. Yeah, I hope you read the fine print with the little asterisk down at the bottom in the six-point Helvetica. Results may vary. Yeah, um, most of the seeker-driven churches fail badly. I mean, about a third of them, are they, they survive. Um, so I don't know how you think you're going to be able to survive here. You might want to just abandon all of this and actually do what Scripture tells you to do and preach the Word. He didn't tell you you're not good enough. God didn't say to you that you were a disappointment to him. He didn't stick a measuring stick up next to you and say, you, you've got a measure to hear in order to be loved by me. Um, you are aware that Scripture says that all have fallen short, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah, you familiar with this concept? Yeah, what you just said technically is contradicted by God's Word and the law of God. The Gospel assures us that Christ is measured up for us. He's been perfect for us. And His righteousness is given to us as a gift by grace through faith. Yes, there are people in your life that have. There are situations that have. There are things that have been unfair and cruel and judgmental and rude and discriminatory that have told you you're not good enough, but your God has never told you that. And he never will. Yeah, again, read your Bible. And Jesus said, why are you worried about what you will wear, about what you will eat? It's because they don't trust God. This is a call for faith. That's why Jesus, as part of that discourse in the Sermon on the Mount, says, O oh, you of little faith. That's the thing he's preaching for about what you're going to accomplish. Everybody runs after that. But if you seek God first, if you seek me first, if you trust me that I am God and I can do the things I've promised you I'll do. And what exactly would those promises be? I'd like to hear a few of those in context. He said, then, then it's going to go well for you. And all of these things you'll have provided as well. Now, don't get confused by that verse either. Because don't think that that means... Yeah, no, the sermon is the thing that's confusing because you jump right into part of a discourse within the Sermon on the Mount, no context, you don't actually read the thing in its entirety, and you don't even get to the real punchline. Um, wow, this is a train wreck. 
that you get everything. And all these things, not all these things being everything you ever asked for, not all these things being everything you ever put on the list, you know? Please help me win this game. Well, you know, there's 10 other, 12 other, 5 other guys on the other side praying that prayer too. Please give me that beautiful brand new car. No, God knows what you need. He's not always going to give you everything you want. And sometimes, God knows what you don't need. So as we talk about this in the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at breathing room, and we're going to be talking about three areas of our life. We'll be talking about schedule, money, and relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this doesn't sound like you'll be using much Bible for the weeks ahead, does it? And I'm going to offend some of you along the way, I'm sure. Uh, that's already happened because I'm offended that you would you know, literally shirk your biblical responsibility to preach the word. God has commanded this of you. Yeah, see 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I hope you'll forgive me, but I'll only say the things... That God says. Uh, You really haven't done that in this sermon, like at all. Are you afraid of dealing with all the stuff that you've let pile up? Are you afraid of saying no? Often in our lives, it's not the bad things that are keeping us from finding fulfillment. It's a lot of good things sometimes, but too many. Let's pray. Done. Wow. Sudden, catastrophic end there. No Christ in him crucified for our sins. A really law-heavy sermon there. But see, law and gospel need to be preached together. Yeah, this is real simple. The purpose of the law is to show us our sin. That's the primary use of the law. It also shows us what a good work is. So if you're not measuring up to what God's law commands of you, the solution is not, oh, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, try harder, make yourself right with God. No, it's repent and be forgiven. That requires you to preach law and gospel, where you preach the gospel is the solution to our not keeping God's law. Um, Boy, that was a total mess. Yeah, pray for the folks there at PDX Church. Their vision-casting leader has taken them in a very, very bad direction, away from what God's Word explicitly tells him to be doing, all in the name of being relevant and growing a large church, you know. Uh Uh-huh. All right, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>